Well, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hey, everybody, it's uh, Brad Lominick along with CJ Alvarado. Hey, hey. Thrive Leadership Podcast coming at you. Did you, did you recognize that opening line there, CJ? I did. I did. It's classic. Yeah, yeah it's a classic. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a guy that likes the arts. Yeah. I, I, I pay attention to the, to the plays, to the, to the opera, to the, you know, the things coming out of, of Manhattan. Um, to the plays. Are you, the plays, you, yes. You, you, yeah. you come off as a slight uh, history buff. I am a history major, by the way, of college. Right? You, so you got, me, you got me pegged, buddy. You pegged, man. So you got me pegged. Interesting. My favorite, my favorite time of history yeah. in terms of studying would be World War II. Is that right? So uh, that would, that, that's, you know, that, that's all, that's, that seems to be the, the, the answer that a lot of people would give. But I love World War II history, and uh, especially looking at it from a leadership side. There's a lot of, a lot of things that uh, are fascinating in terms of, of thinking about it when you cross-reference that time in the 40s and 50s, 30s even, you know, with leadership. So that's, that's for another episode. But on this episode, we have a guest that many of you may not know about, but you're going to really love meeting Rusty George. And uh, Rusty is a pastor of a church called Real Life Church in the LA area. He's a, he's a author of multiple books. He's got a book most recently out called After Amen. And the subtitle is What to Do When You're Waiting on God. And the reason I like this conversation is because there's not a lot of book. There's a lot of books out there about prayer, but there's not a lot of books out there about what do you do after you prayed. Wow. Yeah, so, maybe that's maybe that's you know I don't know if it's more important, but it's as important. It seems like it's a dual part of the same you know coin here, two sides of the same coin. You, you've got the prayer piece, but then you've got the whole what do we do when when we're done there? So what do we do after we yeah. say, man? You know what do you do? while you're waiting uh he he lays out some really some really great things here some of the things that you know i highlighted were you know you still work work while you wait you mm-hmm. know you, when you can't see a path trust your leadership trust the leaders around you and yeah he he lays out some of these that are really really cool sometimes a closed door is a no but for now you know it, it may not be a no forever these are some great tips uh that that come out of his book yeah, well, we're going to get to that interview here in just a few minutes. We got to we got to say a few words about our our partner for this episode, ServeHQ, and uh, ServeHQ is doing some great work, especially related to helping you stay connected with your leaders. And we're we're in a time right now, a crazy season. We have been for the last several months. Obviously, uh, ServeHQ is a great organization to help you stay connected to those in your church and continue to train and disciple them and help get more people connected to you, especially right now when we're not even seeing people. You know, many of us are still in a, in a stage with our church, with our leaders where we're not able to show up in person. So ServeHQ is, is a great resource um, for staying connected to people through digital outlets. Uh, just, to, just to give you a real quick sense of, of the three main things that ServeHQ will help you with, uh, huddle up, which is the first area of doing mass email and texting, uh, plus safe group chats, trained up, which really is more about educating and creating online classes for new members, new volunteers, and ongoing development of your leaders. And then follow up, which will automate steps 
for your volunteers, new volunteers to get plugged in, new guests to get plugged in, uh, new members to get plugged in and more. So huddle up, trained up, follow up. Those are kind of the three areas that ServeHQ will help you to equip and engage your whole church. So uh, go to servehq.church. That's the website, servehq.church. Check out what they're doing, get it, get plugged in. This is a resource that Thrive recommends and also Bayside does as well, Bayside Church. And uh, we, we love the work they're doing and we wanted you to know about it. And thanks for their partnership to make this episode possible, servehq.church. Um, let's, let's get to my conversation with Rusty George. And again, he's the pastor of Real Life Church in the LA area. Um, he has uh, written multiple books, but we really dive into this new book he has called After Amen. And I've got to also say, you'll hear this in the conversation. Uh, we're, both, we're both Oklahoma Sooner fans. There you go. So are you, I know you don't care about that at all, CJ. Um, you know, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say at all, but pretty close. <laughs> well, you're, you're, not, you're not carrying the Oklahoma flag, but you're also really not carrying the college football flag. Yeah, you know, not really. But I'm, I'm, into, the, I'm into the sports, NBA, NFL. You know, oh, yeah, no question. Yeah, no, you're a sports wrong. guy. You're you a sports you, guy. You're just you not necessarily. Up, you guys grew up when you have that community of sports. It's like it's bigger than, it's bigger than professional sports in some ways. Yes, college football, especially in the South, uh, is a massive deal. So Rusty and I both, uh, you know, we, we carry a, a passion for Oklahoma Sooners football. And that's, that's, uh, that's a little bit of insider baseball, you know, for you to uh, have context for our conversation. But I think you're really going to enjoy this. This is, a, this is one of those interviews, again, that we're going to talk about something that most people haven't talked about before. So get the moleskin out. Let's go. Uh, Rusty George and me sitting down to talk about his new book, After Amen. So uh, I'm joined by Rusty George, who is a pastor, he's an author, he's a uh, thought leader, but arguably one of the things that is probably one of his highest credentials is he's an Oklahoma Sooner fan. Along Boomer with me. Sooner. Boomer Sooner. There you go. We, we didn't even know this about each other till what, a year or two ago? I think you're right. Yeah. And I mean, you're a longtime Sooner fan. You're a, you're a, you're, you didn't just jump on the bandwagon. You've been, you've been cheering yeah. for the Sooners for a long time. I lived through the John Blake days uh, and the Howard Schellenberger days. So, I mean, you know what that is. Not everybody does, but uh, yeah, I, I grew up in Kansas, but I was born in Oklahoma. So I always claim the Sooners and I, you know, Barry Switzer days were great. Obviously, Bob Stoops, Stoops was unbelievable. And now the Lincoln Riley days are great, too. I didn't get to go there like you did, but uh, I feel like I know it pretty well. Yeah. Well, when you grew up in a state that doesn't have or you grew up partly in a state that doesn't have a professional football team or basketball right. at the time. I mean, they, the Thunder now exists, but for many years, there was nothing else other than Oklahoma or Oklahoma State that you sort of right. cheered for, you know, in terms of having some state pride. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's debatable if you cheer for Oklahoma State. Well, that's little brother, you know. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody thinks that Oklahoma State, by the way, is is the big rival to Oklahoma, and it's actually fill in the blank. Go ahead. Yeah. It's Texas. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and all the Texas fans, they know that, and they. That's right. All the A and M fans or Texas Tech or TCU, they think Texas is their big rival, but Texas would say that Oklahoma is their big rival. 
Yeah, and there was a time when it was Nebraska. I mean, those right. were really fun days uh, with Tom Osborne and Barry Switzer. But then they they ran out of the conference up to the Big Ten. They're not even playing this year. So, well, good for them. We we need them back. Come on back, Nebraska. Come come back to the Big Twelve. Yes, we do. We've those only got ten days. teams anyway. That's right. <laughs> hey, Rusty, tell us a little bit more of your story because uh, many folks listening may not know. Uh, the history for you and how you've, you know, sort of the story you've been on the journey you've been on. Yeah. Well, I, as I said, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas. Um, I had a, a great, uh, church experience. Uh, I look back on it now. It was highly fundamental. Um, but you know, it was, a. It, I appreciated my church, my parents taking me to church three times a week because it got me involved in the youth program. I developed great friendships there. I had a great youth pastor. And during that time, I really felt like I had a call to ministry. So I went off to Bible college in Joplin, Missouri at Ozark Christian College and had an unbelievable experience there and a a real awakening because I had a great youth pastor. So I thought I should be a youth pastor. So I started volunteering as a youth pastor and I realized I don't really enjoy youth. So (laughs) probably not a good place for my profession. So uh, I, I started preaching on the weekends and little churches and loved that. Got an opportunity to intern at a fairly large church out in Lexington, Kentucky, um, to be uh, a college and career age pastor, you know, young adults. And I, I loved that. And they, they took me on full time after I got out of school. Uh, my wife and I got married. I mean, this is great. This is crazy, actually. We graduated one weekend, got married the next, and moved to Kentucky the next weekend. Hello. So it was a wild whirlwind of change but had a great experience there, uh, was mentored along by a guy named Mike Bro, uh, who worked the CIY circuits for years and was an incredible pastor and who really taught me how to teach and lead um, for people that are far from God. Gave me a heart for it. During that time, uh, I felt like God was calling me to do my own thing. And a church in California that I was aware of called me and said, our lead guy just left. We're two years old meeting in a movie theater. What do you think? And Brad, you know this, when you're from the Midwest, California is a place you visit, not a place you live. And we just had our first child. And I said, I'm not doing that. But I said the kiss of death, as all pastors do. I said, I'll pray about it. (laughs) So anyway, 17 years later, uh, uh, I've been here in California. So years. So it's been a great journey. Moved out here. The church was about three years old by the time I got here, meeting in a movie theater crazy stories of, you know, movies coming on during messages, you know, kids discovering rats. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know what happened to our connection. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Let me turn my video off. Sorry. Hear me? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. I can't hear you. Am I back now? Yeah, there you are. Okay. So, start, so hey, great start at the rat. You said rats, and that's where it... That's where yeah. we dropped off. Keep going. Yeah, we had one, we had one experience where a kid in a in a class rolled underneath the curtain. Um, 
you know, down there by the screen and he rolled back out and he had a sticky rat trap on his back with a rat on it. Um, that was pretty epic. So, uh, those, you know, that family never came back, but crazy stories of doing church in a theater. And, and, uh, I know a lot of people have experienced that, but during that time we bought land and we, we built a building and, uh, since then we've launched some campuses and, uh, it's been, it's been a wild, wild ride. Something I thought I'd never do, but having done it now 17 years in California, uh, certainly during the COVID season, really strange with us not being able to meet uh, and having such strict restrictions while other states are opening. But every year seems to be new challenges and God continues to show up. And, and talk about where you're located specifically. A lot of us know the LA area, but we don't know like anything within the LA area. Right, right. We are just north of Los Angeles in a, a town called Valencia. And if you're a, a fan of the TV show 24, uh, that's where a nuclear bomb went off in season six. So we've recovered, uh, but it's been a slow journey. Jack Bauer, man. We need him. Jack Bauer. Saving we, the world. We need him back. Yeah. We do. You're exactly right. Well, you you are um, part of the, you mentioned Mike Bro and sort of the coaching yeah. tree. Talk, t- right. talk a little bit more about the coaching tree and sort of the, you know, the, the impact on you coming out of what is now many pastors around the country who are yeah. connected sort of to your same, you know, family of, of leadership that you came out of. Yeah, I, I just can't say enough about Mike Bro. Um, and the thing that I loved about him was, you know, I grew up in a church. I got married to a Christian. I went to a Bible college. We we had Christian friends. And when I first got to that church in Kentucky, it was pretty inward focused. I mean, they were still doing Southern Baptist quartets in the 90s. And Mike Bro comes in and he says, you know what, we're going to focus on people who aren't here. And he would ask you in a staff meeting, tell me three people that you know that aren't Christians. And I didn't know anybody. Hmm. So it, it, it brought this conviction for me, as it did our entire staff. Uh, we got to care about people that aren't like us and stop Stop having the arguments that are the luxury of the saved, like arguments about predestination and women's roles and carpet colors and the worship wars we all lived through. And let's start asking, how do we help people that are the least, the last and the lost? And he taught me how to, to not just think that way and live that way, but preach that way. Along with, with me, um, we, we picked up a couple other teachers. Uh, Mike was letting me teach a lot on the weekends. And then we hired a guy named John Weiss. Uh, who came on, and then also another guy named Jim Bergen, who came on from Southeast. And we were together for about a year. And I can tell you, that was so much fun because all four of us teach differently, but we all we all benefited each other in some way. And Bro is the most reluctant leader I've ever met because he leads so much by example. He gives great wisdom without ever, you know, feeling like he's overpowering you and just continue to give great opportunities. Well, you fast forward and, and Mike Bro goes off to Willow and John takes over uh, Southland. And I, I came out here to real life and uh, Jim Bergen as a, is at Flatirons in Colorado. And then from there, uh, it's continued on. And we've been able to plant a church in Ventura with uh, uh, Mike Hickerson, who happens to be Mike Bro's son-in-law. And their church has planted two churches as a result of that. And now Mike's out here, semi-retired, working for me. So it's uh, it's been a great, great legacy. So he's—I didn't realize he was back uh, hanging out with you. 
Yeah. So what he did about three or four years ago, uh, myself and uh, a couple other Southern California pastors, Gene Apple being one of them, uh, we were having bro back so much to speak for us. We just said, listen, why don't you move out here? Be close to your grandkids. And we'll just, we'll each take 12 Sundays a year from you. And so between three churches, we gave him 36 Sundays to be busy. And then he would use the other ones either for, you know, personal time or to speak at other places too. You know, there are some guys that are great conference speakers. They can go in and just burn the place down and walk out. And other guys are, are really uh, uh, more of a known commodity in their location. Uh, bro is that conference guy. He can come in and just, he, you just feel like you know him after 10 minutes, uh, even less than that, whether you've met him for the first time or you're hearing him for the first time. And so that style plays really well at all three of our locations. Well, you, uh, you've, you've been writing books for several years mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you got a new one coming out middle of October. Yeah. After Amen. So, first of all, the 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 title is is uh, is interesting. It it makes me uh, it it gives me a visual that uh, is probably different than pretty much any other title. What? Why this book now, Rusty? Well, that's a great question. Um, there are literally thousands and thousands of books on prayer, and we've read a lot of them, right? And they tell us how to pray. They tell us what to do to prepare to pray, uh, what to say when we pray. There are prayer books that you just read the prayer. But I saw very few resources on what to do after you pray. And I was having this um, this frustration every Sunday morning in the lobby where people would come up to me and tell me the difficulty. And I'd say, well, let's pray about it. And they'd look at me like I was crazy. And they'd say, I have prayed about it and nothing has happened. Hmm. And their, their mentality is, I'm giving up on prayer. It does not work for me. And sometimes they think that's their fault. I've got too much sin in my life, or I guess I was really bad in high school and college, and now God won't listen to me despite what I do. Maybe it's, I'm not spiritual enough. I don't know enough. That's why they come to the pastor and ask for him or her to pray. Um, or, or maybe it's, um, they're not even sure their, their prayers are getting through or that uh, God will even answer them. Maybe God's mad at them. And then I began to notice in my own life, I had developed a bit of a callousness towards prayer. It was kind of the cherry on top. It was kind of when all else fails, pray, um, as opposed to an active part of my life. And I, and I realized a lot of that was because I wasn't seeing immediate answers. And so what I decided to do was just for my own personal study, let's take a look at every time somebody came to Jesus and asked him for something, because that's a prayer. And Jesus' response was really fascinating. Sometimes he said, yeah. Sometimes he said, no. Sometimes he said, uh, I need you to go and show yourself to the priest, and maybe you'll be healed on the way. Sometimes it was, why do you deserve this? You know, his, his responses were so unique, which told me over and over again that it's not a one-size-fit-all. It's not a, uh, a chant or magic words to get what we want from God. But rather, it is this relationship, and Jesus' answers for us uh, are the same now as they were back then. So that's what I, I wanted to do. And I, I found it very fulfilling to see what Jesus does um, after we say amen and what we're supposed to do. And sometimes that even can make the outcome uh, dependent on that. Yeah. W- was this something that started as uh, a teaching 
series or, or some stuff you were doing at the church or were you writing about this without ever, uh, you know, communicating it publicly? Yeah, that's a great question. That's the age old uh, dilemma for, for pastor authors is do they preach it first and then just turn the sermons into a manuscript? Um, I, I kind of do it the opposite where I work on the manuscript and then I turn it into a message. Um, so we're getting ready to launch this uh, at the time I'm talking to you here in, in a few weeks as the book comes out. Uh, but it really came out a lot of conversations with people about their frustrations with prayer. Uh, we had a rather significant event happen here in November as I was completing uh, the manuscript for this book. And we had a school shooting in Saugus, uh, which is in our our valley, the Santa Clarita Valley. Uh, there were seven kids that were shot, uh, three of which attended our church, mm. uh, one of which uh, died. And having to sit with her family and, and have them ask me these questions of, why did God allow this? Did God cause this? We prayed, nothing happened. I prayed for my kids every day they left from school and one came home and one didn't. Why didn't God allow the gun to jam? You know, just, it's an endless cycle of questions. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have the same questions too. You know, where is God in all of this? And why does he say yes to some and no to others? And so it was really a lot of those kind of stories that led to the book rather than just a message that led to the book. Yeah. So, what, you know, d- dive deeper on, on, on that particular example, because it's mm-hmm. obviously personal and, and not necessarily recent, but more recent. Um, when, when, you, when you, you know, you've written the book on prayer, so now you're the prayer expert, right? <laughs> what what's your answer? I mean, what what is the what is the answer back when when people ask that question? Hey, is this working? I mean, what how do we how do we know that God's hearing us? I know that's a big question. I'd love for you to just unpack that a bit. Well, I learned early on in pastoral work, uh, answers fall really flat for people that are in crisis, and. I remember being in the hospital with this family and uh, I'll never forget the screams and the cries of the mom finding out that her daughter didn't make it and crying out, why, why, why? And there, there's a, a friend of mine that was working in the hospital that day and she looked at me like, give her an answer. I said, it, it won't help. Hmm. And so in those situations, it really is just presence and, and, you know, kind of praying for them during that. But later on, like when we would sit down and have a cup of coffee or, uh, we'd talk about what was going on. What they really wanted to know was, did I cause this? Did my sin cause my daughter to die? And that was a different question than I expected. So that definitely changed the answer that they needed to hear. And I began to talk to them about, you know, situations we see in the Bible where, you know, uh, the situation of the man born blind and the disciples want to know who sinned here to cause this guy to be born blind. And Jesus said, well, none of them. Um, and, and I even, I, I drew great comfort and I, I shared this with them as well from just Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. I mean, we, we always think that it's about our perfection or it's about our passion that get an answer from God. But Jesus, who is perfect, and Jesus, who was so passionate, he sweated, he, he was sweating drops of blood. He gets a no from his heavenly father, from his father, our heavenly father. And I think in those moments, we have to remember if Jesus gets a no from his father, then 
A, we're in good company when we get a no, and B, we can at least trust in Jesus and not only have the, the faith in Jesus we need to have, but the faith of Jesus, of his Father. And it was, it was comforting for them to hear they didn't do anything wrong, and God didn't necessarily cause this. Obviously, they're frustrated that God allowed it, but knowing that no one was really to blame went a long way with them. But of course, that was a conversation that came later and not, not in the moment. And I think that's where a lot of us are. When we get a no from God, or we get silence from God, or we have a tragedy in our life, or at the same time, I was helping a friend bury his wife who died of cancer at the age of 49. And I'm having these same questions from him. And no matter where we are in this, we, we, want, to, we want to assign blame somewhere. But if we can know that it's just life, we all die at some point, and God is the author of renewed, resurrected life, then there's hope in that. Does it take away all the pain? No. But it certainly changes your prayers a little bit to know that now God walks with you, and his maybe silence doesn't always mean his lack of his presence. Yeah. How, how has your prayer life changed? I mean, you, you write a book like this, mm. and you're obviously, you, be, you become so deep into the topic and the subject uh, that it, it can't help but impact you. So both your, your, your prayer life and I guess your after prayer life, you know, at, after the prayer has been, been said, what, what's changed for you? Uh, well, I think immediately what changed for me is I started writing down my prayer requests a lot more. I think we all give that advice to people, but we rarely do it. And to write them down and to go back to them and look at them and see what God has done. Because sometimes we think he didn't answer, but he actually did. Hmm. Uh, I, I've noticed uh, over the years, I would always have lunch with people and they'd tell me what was going on. And uh, I'd say, hey, I'll be praying about that for you. And then, you know, like a lot of us, we walk out and forget all about it. So what I started doing was I'd take out my phone right then, open up a, you know, a notes uh, entry. And I'd write it down and then I would pray about it for a, a few days, maybe a few weeks. And then and I would, I would call them back or text them back and say, Hey, how's this going? One, they were shocked <laughs> right, <laughs> that I even right. remembered yeah. and that I, and that I prayed. But what was interesting was oftentimes God had already answered it. They just hadn't thought about it. They hadn't mm -hmm. noticed it. And then in my doing that, I helped them see the answer and I helped confirm my faith as well. Um, that was a, that was a huge value add for me to start actually writing it down. I, I think I began to see prayer a lot differently more of a, as a conversation. Um, in the book, I talk about, um, a podcast that our friend, uh, Carrie Newhoff did, uh, with Luis Palau. And he talked about the answers God typically gives in prayer answers like, uh, yes, I thought you'd never ask yes. And here's more. No, because I love you too much. No, not yet. Or no, not in the way you think you think you would want it. And I began to see things differently through that lens and really think a lot about, okay, I'm going to go ahead and trust that God heard me because Jesus trusted that. And I'm going to go ahead and believe that he wants what's best for me because Jesus believed that. And then I'm going to move it forward from there. And I found that it goes so much further once I kind of get those first two things out of the way. His silence is not an indicator of his anger at me 
or his disinterest in me, but rather he's got something else going on. Yeah, that's good. Is there something specific for leaders that you would hope that they put into practice from the book? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think all leaders right now are absolutely at the bottom of the barrel of their leadership uh, quotient. We're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we've been home so much, I haven't felt like I've been on vacation. <laughs> right. And I, I think we're all uh, reeling from decision fatigue. Um, in fact, even though states are beginning to open up and, and pastors are going back to work and leaders are going back to work, I, I'm afraid that we're going to see um, an uptick in suicide in the next four to six months. And I say that because for pastors, the amount of people showing up in your auditorium isn't near what it used to be, and that messes with your head. Uh, For business leaders, uh, the amount of comebacks from people, the amount of, uh, I'm going to jump right back into your services, doesn't happen right away. And that really messes not just with your head, but with your pocketbook. And everything that we were kind of using for our adrenaline uh, feed or for our uh, social quotient or um, just our ability to know we're doing something that matters, that's all shifted. And so for leaders, boy, if there's ever been a time to pray and believe that God has heard you and believe that God is walking with you and to kind of walk through these seven things, I give seven things in the book that you can do after you say amen. One of them is, uh, you know, align with the why. What's God's why in the universe? What's he trying to do? Well, let's get in, let's get in sync with that. It comes right back to Jesus' prayer of your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I, I talk in the book about um, yielding the how. <laughs> Somebody said this to me one time, hey, would you, uh, you always pray about God changing your city. Would that be okay if another church did that? Mm. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, you know, just kind of checking your motives there on uh, why I want this and and how I'm it's going to come about. Little things like, um, Sometimes it's just the simple wisdom of doing the next right thing. Uh, Jesus gave a lot of people some things to do that, hey, just do this, and the miracle will show up along the way. Now, I think about the Apostle Paul. I, I uh, like so many other people, read the, uh, the N.T. Wright biography about Paul, and I was stunned, and I guess I just didn't listen to this in seminary, that between the Damascus Road and Paul's first you know, missionary effort, were 12 years. And you think about just how he has this Damascus Road experience. And so many of your listeners have had that moment, whether it was at a Catalyst conference, whether it was at a Passion conference, whether it was at uh, a Drive conference, or maybe even just at a, uh, you know, at a summer camp or church service, and they feel this awakening. I got to do this for God, which means I need to do it tomorrow at the level of Brad Lominick and Kerry Newhoff and Andy Stanley. And Paul, he gets sent home for 12 years where he's just making tents and telling people about Jesus and everybody thinks he's the heretic Jew. And he just waits for the miracle to show up. And finally it does. One day Barnabas shows up at his door and knocks and says, it's time. 
And I don't know how long that's going to be. Our timetable is so much different than God's. And you think about Joseph waiting for 18 years and Paul waiting for 12 and Moses for 40. And, and I think for us right now, we're so, so quick as leaders to want to get back to normal, which we've all determined there'll be no normal. It'll be different. But even giving that time to let God work on you in the process. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I wish we had time to go into all seven of the uh, of the takeaways. Are there are there any of the other ones that you wanted to you wanted to highlight? Um, you know, do the next right thing. That's a big one. There is a checklist I go over on. I think it's number four or five, because there are some things that Scripture tells us. If these things aren't dealt with, God does not hear your prayer. Um, things from unconfessed sin to even strife in your marriage. Uh, little things we tend to overlook. And, uh, you know, Jesus talks about if you're on your way to the altar and know, there, know somebody has some kind of offense against you, leave your gift, go and deal, deal with that person first and then come back. There is this need for, for reconciliation. And I think over COVID, we've all had a little bit of that, you know, sense of I should probably make some things right. And sometimes that can indeed short circuit our prayer language with God. And I would encourage people to to walk through that list. Yeah. Is there any... Uh... There, there's a lot of pastors listen to this conversation, and there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily pastors, but they feel pastoral. It, mm. Is there anything you would say to your congregation or your friends if they were listening and you could say, hey, here's how I would like for you to pray for me, but not just pray for me as a pastor, but also like the after amen part of my role as as your friend and also like helping you as a pastor. What, what would your advice or encouragement be to the people who are around pastors? And again, thinking of the people that are around you, like, what do you want them to do? Mm. I've been thinking about this, uh, this a lot. And to bring it back to sports, Brad, because that's where God speaks to us the most. Of course. Um, of course. Watching The Last Dance. And Michael Jordan's final year, fascinating um, to walk through all that. But somebody made a comment about Michael Jordan that stuck in my mind. And their, their comment was, Michael Jordan's superpower was not his ability to jump or shoot. It was his ability to be in the moment. He did not get distracted with the last shot he missed or what might happen tomorrow night. But he was able to be fully present. If my people were to pray one prayer for me, I would ask them to pray that I would be fully present. Hmm. Because when we're fully present, first of all, we listen to our kids a lot better. We connect with our spouse a lot better. We pastor people a lot better. But it's in that moment we're able to see what God is doing while we're waiting on him and looking far ahead for him to answer that. And we can move on to the next thing. When really Jesus is just trying to get our attention that he's going to walk with us through it even though it may not turn out the way we want. I, I would want them to pray that their pastor would be fully present wherever he or she is. I think that would go so far for so many of us. Love it. By the way, is there, uh, is there any, anything that people need to go to your website or special offers or you know some downloads, yeah. things that they need to know about? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Uh, if you were to go on Amazon and get the book, After Amen, What to Do While Waiting on God, I think it's 1599. If you go to my website, pastorrustygeorge.com, 
That's pastorrustygeorge.com, all one word. Uh, you can get it for 14 bucks, uh, or you can get two for 20. Or if you're a church leader and listen, you want to do this for a small group or for a men's study, or even want to preach these, um, what I've done is you buy uh, so many books and I'm going to throw in nine message manuscripts and I do not need credit for them. Act like they're your own. Okay. Because I've probably stolen something from you. <laughs> Take it from me. And it also comes with nine small group videos that you can show over a Zoom call or even in person with people. And I'll lead your group through the discussion. So if you're if you're hurting for leaders, this is plug and play. Make it really, really simple for you. So that's all on the website, patrustygeorge.com. And you just click on church leaders and it will give you those, those great deals. And then that really comes out to where the books are like eight bucks a piece. So it's about half price. Yeah, that's a great deal. And you got all the extras in there with... The, I mean, the, the small group stuff alone is worth the price of admission. Yeah, I, I've found over the years, and a lot of guys really want to get far ahead in their teaching. Uh, if you could get one good series that you can put on autoplay from somebody else, then you can work ahead and have so much margin in your life. So let me do that for you. Um, and that'll give you nine weeks, or you don't even have to do all nine. You could just do five or do seven. Uh, but the book uh, comes with it with small group questions in it and the videos as well. And it'll save your team a lot of work. Well, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, what, you know, what would you encourage? Got a bunch of leaders listening. So, you know, what's on your heart? What, what would you want to encourage them with? I would encourage them that it's a conversation with Christ that matters more than the answer. And as a parent, my kids want me to fix stuff for them all the time, and I'm happy to do it. But when they sit down and we have a conversation, it goes so much further, and I just cherish that so much. And I, I think we're we're missing it by just doing our work and asking God to bless it. But living in relationship with God as he walks us through this unprecedented time for the church to be better than it ever has been before, uh, we could always use a lot more listening to God rather than just telling him our shopping list. Well said. Well said. Uh, again, PastorRustyGeorge.com is the website. Uh, go yes, there, sir. get the book. You can get multiple books. You can go to Amazon too, but that's going to cost you more. So uh, go to his yeah, website. Don't even do it. Yeah, don't even do it. Uh, thanks for, your, thanks for uh, writing this book. Thanks for, for uh, sharing some of the insights on it. And uh, thanks for all the work you're doing, not only just in real life, but in the area, in the region across the country. Um, we just appreciate your voice in, in the Big C Church. Thank you, Brad. So appreciate all that you're doing as well. And hopefully we get to see the Sooners together sometime soon. Come on. Well, thanks again to Rusty for uh, those wise words. Man, I've, I've got a bunch of notes. I've got some things I'm going to think about. That whole question of now what? That, that's yeah. a, you know, what, again, what are we doing once we've prayed the prayer, once we've sort of made our request known to God, uh, you know, in the waiting, what, what's, what's our posture look like? So uh, go get that book. It's available anywhere books are sold. And uh, hopefully we'll have on Rusty again. May, and maybe, maybe even, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we need to get him up to, uh, to Bayside just to hang out. Ooh, yeah, we definitely do. Definitely get him into, into Thrive more. You know, uh, obviously we'll, we'll be looking at him for the summit. 
but but the conferences should they should they pick back up here in, in 2021 but if you love resources like rusty uh, there are weekly resources. Literally every Wednesday, we are releasing new content with people just like Rusty talking about issues and topics that are so relevant to the church right now. It's a great way to just resource yourself and your team, stay in the conversation. And the best news, Brad, it's absolutely free. So thriveconference.org. Oh, yeah. Love that. Yeah, you get content like this and more. The thing I love about it is that all these great thinkers are talking about things that they are navigating right here and right now. You know, there's a lot of books. I I heard a quote by uh, Ben Horowitz. He's a famous VC guy, but he said, a lot of books are written in times of peace. You know, very few books are written in times of war. You know, and and what he was getting at is that there's there's a difference. There's a different way that you lead, a different way that you you absorb and navigate things in a time of war. And I think a lot of leaders need insights, need resources that are more relevant to the challenges that they are facing right now. And that's what you're getting on a week to week basis in these webinars. So thriveconference.org, it's absolutely free. Highly encourage you guys to check that out. Yes, and uh, go back and listen to uh, to all the previous podcast episodes. Some of you are jumping on this episode for the first time or maybe the last couple, but there's a bunch there in the can, as we like to say, that are available to you. So go ahead and binge. You're binging on Netflix. Get, 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 your, get your binge on with, uh, <laughs> with, with the Thrive Leadership Podcast, as well as Ray Johnston's Leadership Podcast mm-hmm. and, uh, and the Thrive webinars, as CJ mentioned. So you can find all that at thriveconverse.org or you can, uh, you know, use your favorite podcast app to, to, uh, to plug in on some of these past episodes. And as we always want to do here, we want to make sure just to encourage you. It's the, it's the end of the year, CJ. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, getting, we're getting into that place where you start to think about not just what 2021 is going to hold, but what are some reflections on 2020. Yeah. And I would just, I would just say this, you know, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we've made it <laughs> right. I mean, yes. at the end of the day, like remember back in March when gosh, I mean, it's not like we didn't think we would get to, to the end of the year, but it seemed like a long ways away. It's and there, there, I think we can all look back. One of the things that I think we all need to do this year at the end of the year is just, is just have a attitude of gratitude. Um, you know, we've, we've come this far. So that would be my encouragement is it's not only take some time to be thankful and, and write down what you're grateful for, but also reach out to people who you may uh, need to just state to them or articulate your gratitude for them. Um, you know, I, I've heard Andy Stanley say this, that if you don't, if you don't let somebody know you're grateful, it actually becomes being ungrateful. And that, that sort of changed my mindset of, man, so if I don't say it and I, and I wanted to, it actually turns into a negative. Right. Well, maybe so. So I'm going to be way more intentional at the end of the year to, uh, to reach out and say thanks to some people. How about you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To me, gratitude is powerful because in these times of uncertainty, like you're saying, it, it gives us a, a tool or a way to sit with some of this uncertainty, what it's pulling out of us as leaders, and then to go work on that, you know, or give that back to God and, and then really focus on all the things that are still 
good. And there are a lot of things. We still have, a lot of pastors still have communities that are rallying around them. They've got congregations that are rallying with them, you know? And so despite a lot of these obstacles and changes, we've got a lot to be grateful for. And then at the end of the day, I always say this, Brad, that, you know, where we've ended up in this time in history, in this geography, in the entire planet, we are among the richest and most affluent and luckiest people on the face of the earth. I always say, no matter what, if you're here listening to this, there's a good chance you have won humanity's lottery, in which mm-hmm. case we have a lot to be grateful for, man. And so I think we can always kind of take a minute to pause and, and, and do what you just said. I think that's a, a very powerful and sometimes underestimated uh, practice for us as leaders. Well, let's take the, let's take the time to be grateful and, Let's take the time to be uh, reflective and, you know, the end of the year does, it, it, it does hold actually something tangible. You know, there, we, we all as leaders should be, should be in a rhythm at the end of the year that we're looking back. And then at some point we'll start looking forward, you know, to 2021, but make sure you take the time to look back, especially this year. Uh, Cause it quite, quite uh, it's quite possible. This has been for all of us. The, the most chaotic and, uh, you know, change-oriented year we've ever experienced, regardless of whether you're 25 or 75. So uh, that's, that's my challenge, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue to, uh, to do this podcast. We're thankful for you listening, thankful that you're part of our community. And as we always say, you know, we want you to be a healthy leader and uh, have a thriving church. So on behalf of Rusty George, C.J. Alvarado, the team. We uh, are grateful for you. We're grateful for you listening, allowing us to come alongside you on a, on a regular basis to uh, hopefully inspire and equip you. So we will talk to you on the next episode very soon of the Thrive Leadership Podcast. Mm-hmm.